Let's pray. He lives to grant me rich supply. He lives to guide me with his eye. He lives to comfort me when faint. He lives to hear my soul's complaint. Amen. I'm not sure how long you've been a Christian. Maybe some of you watching aren't Christians. I bet you've all at least heard of the hymn, I Know That My Redeemer Lives. It's sung by Christians around the world every single year around Easter time. And in the fourth verse, there's this little line, he lives to hear my soul's complaint. Might be kind of a head scratcher at first as you listen to the words of that hymn. I think we can all understand how Jesus is dead and then he's alive. He's alive to grant me rich supply. He's alive to to watch over you and me and provide for us each and every day of our lives and forever in heaven. If he's dead, he can't do that. So he lives to provide for all we need. That makes sense. He lives to guide me with his eye. Makes sense also. A, A dead savior can't provide you and I with guidance in this life. He can't guide us forever in heaven. The fact that he's alive is helpful as he wants to guide us. Same thing with the comfort line. He, he lives to comfort me when faint. Again, if he's dead, he can't provide any comfort for you and for me. So he's got to be alive. But this last one, why would he come back to life to listen to me complain? What, what parent wants to wake up and get out of bed and first thing that day, Oh, yes, I'm alive another day. I get to hear my kids complain. Yeah, I don't think so, right? So so you're telling me Jesus stepped out of that tomb? He he lives to listen to me complain? How, How does that make sense? And on top of it all, how does complaining mesh with Christianity? There's this passage in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Timothy, that that says godliness with contentment is great gain. How do contentment and complaining go together? Those don't seem to to, to mesh. A standard dictionary definition for complaining or for complaint is an expression of dissatisfaction. That doesn't seem to mesh with contentment. How can you be expressing dissatisfaction while you're content? What did the hymn writer have in mind when he penned these famous lyrics? He lives to hear my soul's complaint. That's our goal for this morning, to better understand what the hymn writer meant with with those words. As we spend some time in an Old Testament book that's probably not all that familiar to you, the Old Testament book of Lamentations, we read from chapter 3. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind 
and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the word of our God. Since this book of Lamentations is not the most well-known Old Testament book in the world, I wanted to spend a few minutes just giving you a little context. So we don't exactly know who, who wrote this boat, this book. We're, we're pretty sure. We're pretty confident that it was the prophet Jeremiah. And, and here's why. A couple hundred years before Jesus was born, a bunch of Jewish scholars began to translate the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. Maybe you've heard of it. Well, when this book was translated, those, those, those translators bringing it into the Greek language gave this book a, a new name. They called it the Tears of Jeremiah. Now, in, in Hebrew, the, old, the, the, the name of this book is, is derived from the first word in Hebrew, which is the word how. It really has nothing to do with Jeremiah. It has nothing to do with, with tears. But when the translators gave a name to this book in Greek, they called it the Tears of Jeremiah. Obviously, they thought that it, that it was written by Jeremiah. When the book was later translated into Latin, it was given the name The Lamentations of Jeremiah. That's where we get our name from today, the Book of Lamentations. But, but even though tradition is strong, and it, and it does seem very likely that Jeremiah wrote this, we can't be 100% sure if it was Jeremiah or not. And so when I refer to the author today, I'll call him the Lamenting Prophet. I won't refer to him as Jeremiah. But, but we do know when this took place. The, the descriptions of this book make it very clear that this is taking place as Jerusalem is falling. And we know that that happened in 586 B.C. as King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon surrounded the city and destroyed it. We'll talk about that again in a minute. But I first wanted to draw your attention to a warning, a very clear warning that God had given to his people as they were about to enter the promised land. So they had left Egypt about 40 years earlier and they had wandered in the desert 40 years because they didn't trust God when he said they were going to take the land God forced them to wander around in the desert for 40 years as punishment. None of the adults who left Egypt would get to go into the promised land. But as they're about to go in, God gives them a very clear warning. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. He said, If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Couldn't really be any more clear than that. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read you the next promise the Lord made about disobedience, but maybe you could take a look at it yourself this week. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 28. God told his people before they entered the promised land that if they abandoned him, if they worshipped other gods instead of him, not only would they be destroyed, but he told them exactly what it would look like. It's found in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 
to 68. It's a very long section, very detailed section of what their destruction would look like. A horrifying scene, exactly mirroring what takes place in this book. You see what the prophet Jeremiah and and what everybody else in Jerusalem experienced as King Nebuchadnezzar surrounded them was unbearable. Nebuchadnezzar had this strategy that, that he and his army would surround a city, cut off all the supply lines in and out, and just let the people starve to death. Instead of going into hand-to-hand combat where, where bodies would be torn by, by swords and all sorts of weapons, rather than risk the life of his own soldiers, Nebuchadnezzar would surround the city and force the people inside to starve. He would protect the lives of his own soldiers and make things a whole lot simpler. It just took time. If you want to begin to understand just how awful it was inside of Jerusalem, read the rest of the book of Lamentations. It's short. It won't take you very long. The scene is horrendous. People are wasting away to skin and bones. They are so hungry that they imagine eating their dead relatives. It's a horrifying scene. It's hard to imagine how poor the quality of life for any one human being could be. But, but this scene in the book of Lamentations helps us to begin to understand just how awful life can be. Uh, the prophet who, who writes this book, this, this lamenting prophet, he's complaining, you could say. He's expressing dissatisfaction with how awful life had become. Now, now we're going through a, a time in our lives that's challenging, to say the least. Especially for us 21st century Americans who are used to our freedoms, who are used to being able to go where we want to go, when we want to go there. Who, who are used to being able to get just about anything at our disposal, just about any time. A lot of that's been taken away from us right now. The letter of the law in our state says that if you don't live under the same roof, you can't go visit each other. So grandparents, if you don't live with your kids and your grandkids, you can't go to visit them. That's not fun. Maybe some of you grandparents have been complaining about not getting to see your grandbabies. If your business is deemed non-essential, you're not working right now. Who gets to decide what's non-essential anyway, you might be thinking to yourself. Perhaps you're complaining about that. If you're in college or in high school, you're not getting to experience what normal high school and college students have always been able to experience. A lot's been taken away from you, especially you seniors. Maybe the rest of you are are enjoying some things about these changes. I hope that you've all begun to see some blessings in the change of pace, perhaps, time spent in your own household. But I don't think it's difficult for you and me to to look at the challenges in this world right now, to to see how, how difficult things can be. You know what it's like to complain. You know what it's like to have life turn a way that you weren't expecting it to turn. 
the question is, where's your complaint coming from? What kind of heart is your complaint flowing from? As we talked about in the children's devotion, is your heart a heart that knows and believes that Jesus is alive? Or does your heart forget that from time to time? I think pretty much everyone alive today knows deep down that that Christians believe that God became a man. I think just about everyone knows that, that Christians believe that God's own son came into this world to sacrifice himself for you and for me. I think everyone in the world knows that Christians believe he he didn't stay dead, but, but rose from the dead. That's celebrated every single year on Easter Sunday. But is it head knowledge that knows what Christians believe about Jesus? Or is it actual trust that these things happened? If Jesus really is God's son, if Jesus really came into this world to sacrifice himself for the sins of the whole world, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then no matter what happens in this life, You have hope. You have hope of an eternity in heaven. And this morning what we're looking at is someone who was looking forward to those promises of God. Not someone who was looking back like you and me, but someone who was looking forward. Someone who lived at a time when God's son had not yet been born, when he had not yet been sacrificed for the sins of the world, when he had not yet risen from the dead, someone who looked ahead and knew God's promises and therefore knew he had hope even in the most unthinkable of situations. Listen to what he says once again. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new. Every morning, great is your faithfulness. This lamenting prophet, even though the world around him was unthinkably awful, knew that he had hope because he had the faithful God who makes promises and keeps them, whose whose love is, is renewed day after day. Why? Because he had promised a Messiah. Because he had promised to send someone who would fix the problem of sin in the world, who would fix the problem of death in the world, and who would grant eternal life to all who believed in him. This lamenting prophet knew that and he believed that, even though the the Savior had not yet come. He knew that the Lord's great love was something that would give him hope. Jesus has demonstrated the Lord's great love for us in the simple fact that he came to this earth to live the perfect life that we fail to live, to suffer the punishment, the hell that we deserve for our sins, to die 
but not to stay dead. To show us that our sins had so fully been paid for that even their greatest consequence, death itself, had been completely defeated. He rose. He rose from the dead. He lives. And yes, he even lives to hear your soul's complaint. To listen to you come to him and tell him how challenging life has been for you lately. To tell him that you're not satisfied with things here that you're looking forward to what he has won for you in heaven. This lamenting prophet goes on. He says, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is my portion. He's my inheritance. He's all that I need As long as I have the Lord and his promises, I have hope. I have salvation waiting for me in heaven. That's really good for us to remember, especially during these challenging times, especially if you are are particularly suffering, going through unique challenges based on your lot in life. I want to talk to two groups of seniors real quick. I mentioned you earlier. Maybe you're the kind of senior who's home alone because your spouse has passed away recently. You're not getting to spend much time with other people. You miss your your church family probably as much as anyone because here is a place where you have relationships. Here is a place where you have family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and you really miss seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ. And on top of it all, you, you can't even see your immediate family, your grandkids, your your relatives. That They can't come to visit right now either. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, this is a a rotten deal. All all those grandparents who have come before me, decades and decades worth of grandparents who who aren't here on this earth anymore, they all got to see their grandkids when they wanted to. They got to go to church when they wanted to. Why me? Why now? Why is this happening now? Why couldn't this have happened a few years ago while my spouse was still alive? Why couldn't this have happened a, a few years ago? When I had more people living in my house, why now? Why when I'm alone? My heart goes out to you. I miss you. I hope to see you again soon. We all do. But remember what this lamenting prophet says here. Even when your earthly portion seems to be a touch of a ripoff, you have the Lord as your portion. You have the Lord as your inheritance. And you don't have to wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord because the salvation of the Lord has already come. You know God's Son. You know what He came to do for you. You know that His sacrifice on the cross means your sins are forgiven and you know that His resurrection means this world is not all there is. There's an eternal existence where you will really live without complaint, perfectly satisfied for all eternity. Keep your eyes focused on that prize. And to you other seniors, those of you who are seniors in college or seniors in high school, boy, you're missing out on a lot. I can only imagine how much your, your heart is agonizing over what you looked forward to What you've seen class after class after class of seniors enjoy, you don't get to enjoy. You just want to be with your friends right now. 
You just want to claim any semblance of a normal senior year. You're supposed to be celebrating right now, getting ready for a graduation in mere weeks. But nothing. You eighth graders too, this is supposed to be a big time in your life. This is supposed to be a time when you get to celebrate the end of a long chapter in your life and moving on to, to another one. Maybe you think the portion that you're being served isn't fair. It's not like the portion last year's eighth graders got. It's not like the portion last year's high school seniors or last year's college seniors got. Why you? Why, why now? It's okay to go to the Lord and and complain about your portion here on earth. It's okay to go to the Lord and to tell him you're dissatisfied with what you have here. Just remember to be satisfied with the Lord. Remember to be satisfied with the portion that is God and his promises of eternal peace, eternal satisfaction. You and I have everything we need in Jesus. Our bank accounts may shrink. We may lose jobs. We may lose our freedoms. We may lose so much that we love about this place. We may have every reason to be dissatisfied here. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on the eternal satisfaction that awaits you in heaven. Remember, Jesus lives even to hear your soul's complaint. Amen.